is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffman. Despite availability of endocrine therapies for advanced or metastatic breast cancer, there remains a critical unmet need for more effective and convenient treatment options that improve both the patient experience and health outcomes. In today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Sean Bowen, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology. The company is developing new treatment options designed to improve outcomes for women with metastatic breast cancer. The company's lead investigational agent is OP1250. The drug is a novel agent with combined activity as both an advanced complete estrogen receptor antagonist and a selective estrogen receptor degrader. This approach is expected to drive deeper, more durable responses than currently available therapies. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Yonkers in Brief. The Yonkers in Brief is developed in collaboration with our online journal, Oncozine, where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. For more information on how to support this program, visit our website at oncozine.com. And if you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866. And we will make sure that you will receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. This is the Yonkazine Brief. For the latest news about cancer and cancer treatment, visit our online journal, Oncazine, at www.oncazine.com. In the studio with me is Dr. Sean Bowen. He is the President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology. His company is developing a new treatment option for the treatment of patients diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. Sean, welcome to the Oncazine Brief. So let me start with asking you this question. In general, when you look at the field of anti-cancer drugs, there is an awful lot available right now. But when you look at breast cancer, specifically metastatic breast cancer, there are still areas of unmet medical needs. Can you tell me a little bit more about these unmet medical needs? Yeah, I think, thank you, Peter, for the introduction, by the way. And yes, that's absolutely true. The situation is that if a woman is either diagnosed with metastatic or advanced breast cancer, mostly it's women, can be men as well, or is diagnosed with a limited stage cancer and get, gets local treatment and adjuvant treatment, but then progresses to the metastatic setting, sadly, most often they die from that cancer. While there are, as you said, good viable treatment options that extend life and preserve quality of life, unfortunately, eventually the cancer evades those different mechanisms and actually leads to the death of the patient. And obviously, we want to be able to to cure if possible, but certainly more attainable is to extend the patient's life with quality with new therapies. Right. Now, for all clarity, when you talk about metastatic breast cancer, you refer to advanced breast cancer, cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, right? Yes, that's right. That, what it is, it's cancer that has left the localized breast region. So in the case of the cancer we're dealing with most often, which is hormone receptor positive breast cancer, that particular type of breast cancer, which is by far the vast majority, almost three quarters 
of breast cancer is hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative. That type of cancer can go to lymph nodes outside of the breast and the axilla, the area under the arm. It can go to other organs, it can go to the liver, it can go to the lungs, it can go to the brain. And it does also have a bit of a propensity if it leaves the localized area to go to the bone. Your company is developing an oral selective estrogen receptor degrader, or CERD, as a novel breast cancer therapy. Tell me a little bit more about this class of anti-cancer agents and how they compare to other drugs. Yes, so the class of drugs is targeting, obviously, the estrogen receptor. And the estrogen receptor in its normal physiology uh, promotes the growth and development of breast tissue. For example, if a young woman is entering puberty and her ovaries start to secrete that estrogen binds the estrogen receptor in the breast tissue and stimulates the growth of that tissue, and that leads to breast development. Now, as, as is often the case with cancers, what the ER-positive breast cancer does is it co-ops that physiological signal to promote the inappropriate growth and proliferation of the cancer cell. And so what we do to combat that is we try to turn off that estrogen signal. And there are multiple ways to try to do that. One is to try to decrease the production of estrogen. And aromatase inhibitors, for instance, would do that. They would decrease the peripheral conversion of androgens to estrogens. The other is to directly bind the estrogen receptor. The estrogen receptor is really a ligand-regulated transcription factor that when bound an agonist ligand will bind to promoters in the genome of the cell and stimulate the transcription of genes that promote cell growth and proliferation. And so what we want to do is we want to shut that signal off. Now, the estrogen receptor at this point is a validated target, right? We have tamoxifen, 1977, was first approved, being used mostly in the adjuvant setting. It is not a complete antagonist. It is a partial agonist antagonist. We have fulvestrin, which is a complete antagonist molecularly, but has very limiting pharmacology because it is not orally bioavailable. So you can't get great exposure with fulvestrin because you have to give large volume injections monthly. Our approach is to improve further upon that validated target by doing two things. One, yes, OP1250, our medicine in the clinic is a selective estrogen receptor degrader. The problem with the degrader class is that even the best degraders leave a significant amount of estrogen protein remaining in the cell. And that remaining protein can signal and stimulate cell growth and proliferation. So OP1250 has an additional attribute. It is a complete estrogen receptor antagonist, or CRAN, so that when it binds that remaining estrogen receptor, it locks the receptor in an inactive conformation and keeps it turned off. And by doing so, you target HER2-negative breast cancer. But there is an opportunity in estrogen receptor positive, HER2-positive as well. Let's take a break. This is the Youngest in Brief. If you're just joining us, in today's episode of the Youngest in Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Sean Bowen, President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology, about the development of new treatment options designed to improve outcomes for women with metastatic breast cancer. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. 
Each day, researchers make new discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Some days they take small steps. Others' huge discoveries lead to giant leaps forward. This progress, both small steps and giant leaps, happens with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are a fundamental path to progress and the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Clinical trials introduce new hope in addition to the current standard of care by allowing researchers to provide participants access to cutting edge and potentially life-saving treatments. So if you're interested in exploring new treatment options while helping to light the path for other patients, clinical trials may be the best choice for you. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more about clinical trials. Together, we can stand up for all of us. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. This is the Yonkazine Brief. If you're just joining us, in today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Sean Bowen, President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology. We talk about the development of OP1250, a new treatment option designed to improve outcomes for women with metastatic or advanced breast cancer. There are other companies developing certs, but as you mentioned, these agents or these drugs are not complete in degrading estrogen. You've also mentioned that the investigational drug you're developing, OP1250, has in addition to degrading estrogen another function, allowing it to mopping up what remains. How different is this than other approaches, and what else makes this drug unique? Yes, I, the other thing that makes it unique is... so. Of the third class, there are a mixture of things. Many of the things in the class are not complete antagonists. They are partial agonists, partial antagonists. So they, in some contexts, they turn the receptor on. In other contexts, they may reduce its activity, but not completely turn it off. Now, there are others in the class that are complete estrogen receptor antagonists. Probably the most well-known, most characterized is fulvestrin. The problem fulvestrant has is its limiting pharmacology means that it cannot generate exposure that completely occupies all of that remaining estrogen receptor. So not only do you have to have the molecular attribute of being a complete antagonist, you have to have the pharmacological attributes of having oral bioavailability with daily dosing, very high exposure in the patient, particularly at the trough concentration before the next dose, because you want the estrogen receptor occupied and turned off 24-7. If you drop below that occupancy, the estrogen receptor will turn back on and stimulate the cell growth and proliferation. So those attributes of OP1250, we believe, are are differentiating. In addition, it has an interesting property. It crosses the blood-brain barrier. The concentration in the central nervous system is about the same as in the rest of the body. Not all in the class do that. And so that's another aspect of it we are seeking to explore in our clinical program that's ongoing right now to understand if we can target the estrogen receptor in CNS metastasis. That is currently not done. That is a complex process, I believe. 
Now, you've mentioned the blood-brain barrier, which is composed of many cell types and functions as a structural and functional roadblock to microorganisms such as bacteria, fungi, viruses, and parasites that may be circulating in the bloodstream. This protects the brain and central nervous system, but in many cases, it also stops drugs that are necessary for treatment from passing through. And as a result, these drugs might not reach their target. Now, the drug that you are developing passes through, which is a major benefit, as you've mentioned, right? It is a major differentiating attribute, and we're hopeful that we can, that we can use it to target positive brain metastases, both the HER2 negative and the HER2 positive class. The, in HER2 positive, ER positive, HER2 positive disease, it's quite prevalent to have CNS involvement during the course of the therapy. I should say there is another molecule that crosses the blood-brain barrier quite efficiently in the treatment of ER positive breast cancer, and that is tamoxifen. But as we mentioned before, tamoxifen is not a complete antagonist. So this investigational drug, when approved, can be used as a treatment option in pretty complex cases. That is right. In drug development, one of the things researchers are often interested in is finding out how their investigational drug interacts with other drugs, for example, in combination therapy. Are you also investigation combination therapies, in addition to finding out how the drug OP1250 may behave as a standalone monotherapy? Is that part of your development strategy? It is, Peter. So the most prominent class of drugs that have, been, that have moved into a treatment of uh, particularly ER-positive HER2-negative breast cancer are the CDK4-6 inhibitors. And uh, the standard of care in first-line advanced metastatic is to give a CDK4-6 inhibitor. They are not given alone generally. They are given with an endocrine agent, either an aromatase inhibitor, most of the time it's an aromatase inhibitor, or sometimes fulvestrin. We know that those endocrine agents are not optimally targeting the estrogen receptor. So our objective is to increase the benefit of the CDK4-6 inhibitor by having a better ER-targeting drug in OP-1250. To your point, combinability then becomes extremely important. So our, we have already completed the dose escalation with palbociclib and OP-1250, and we're able to achieve our 120 milligram single agent recommended phase two dose in combination with palbociclib without um, additional toxicity that we've been able to see other than the palbociclib profile. And, and so we're expanding at that dose. The other thing we did not see is a drug interaction. Some in the CERD class have either had added, added toxicity in the combination or they induced the metabolism of the CDK4-6 inhibitor. So then you're actually decreasing exposure to an active drug. And that clearly is not a position you want to be in. Interestingly, we also have an ongoing trial. We are not, it's a little bit behind the palbociclib combination that's also combining OP1250 with ribociclib, which is another CDK4-6 inhibitor, which actually has shown survival benefit in the first-line setting. And then also with alpalisib, which is a PI3 kinase inhibitor that's targeting patients who have a PI3 kinase alpha mutation. And these clinical trials are not necessarily phase one trials, right? But they are conducted uh, in collaboration with partners, correct? Yeah. So they, actually, all three of those trials are ongoing. Both the single agent is in phase two, and then the phase one B for 
palbociclib and for ribociclib plus alpilisib. The combination trials are in partnership. So the palbociclib is in partnership with Pfizer. They provide the palbociclib to us. The ribociclib and alpilisib are in combination, are in partnership with Novartis. Novartis provides both those drugs plus some financial support for the conduct of the trial. And that's part of your development program. Now, OP1250 is being developed for the treatment of advanced breast cancer. But I understand that you are also looking beyond breast cancer. For example, in the possible treatment of gynecological cancers, right? Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, that's absolutely right. So there are a couple of approaches that that takes. Now, as is typical of the development of a cancer agent, you tend to start in the later line and then you try to move earlier to demonstrate that benefit can happen earlier. And usually if you go earlier, when there's less resistance, you actually can get a larger incremental benefit. So there are two approaches. One is to continue with the ER positive cancer, but then move into the first line setting with a CDK4-6 inhibitor. And then that also raises the potential later to go into an adjuvant setting, a more limited cancer setting to prevent the recurrence. The other area of, the other couple areas of interest are to combine with HER2 targeting agents and to have an ER positive, HER2 positive treatment combination. Currently in HER2 positive breast cancer, the estrogen receptor is not targeted. And so that we think is an opportunity. And then finally, there are other gynecological malignancies that are estrogen receptor driven, such as uterine cancer. And so we are also in our life cycle looking at how we might approach diseases like that. Yes, that makes sense. Because there is a link between gynecological cancer and breast cancer, right? In some cases, there are. In some, some gene mutation situations, for instance, the, the BRCA, BRCA gene family, people who are born with mutations in that, and those, there's more than one gene, but BRCA1 or BRCA2 are predisposed to uh, not only breast cancer, but also other cancers, in particular ovarian cancer. Let's take a short break and then we're back with Dr. Sean Bone, President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology. We talk about the development of new treatment options designed to improve outcomes for women with metastatic or advanced breast cancer. Sarcoma. Odds are you've never heard that word before. But for the 40 people diagnosed with sarcoma every day, it is a life-changing word. Life-changing and devastating because sarcoma is cancer. Sarcoma is a cancer of bone and soft tissue more prevalent in children than in adults. More than 6,000 people lose their lives to sarcoma each year. Treatment options for sarcoma are limited and new therapies are desperately needed. More research and increased awareness is necessary to find a cure for a cancer that you probably didn't even know existed until now. Through awareness, advocacy, and research, the Sarcoma Foundation of America is determined to help those affected by this forgotten cancer, to bring hope to the children and adults whose lives are forever changed by a word they had never heard before. Please help us in the fight to find the cure for sarcoma. For more information on sarcoma and the work of the Sarcoma Foundation of America, please go to curesarcoma.org. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. 
and welcome back. In today's episode of the Oncogene Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Sean Bowen, President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology, about the development of new treatment options designed to improve outcomes for women with metastatic breast cancer. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Oncogene Brief. One thing you often see in complex targeted treatments for cancer are companion diagnostics. Is this something that you're looking to include to see if this would predict the potential benefit for the treatments with OP1250? Or is that not necessary? It's not so much companion diagnostics, but certainly characterization of the molecular aspects of the tumor are definitely used. For instance, I talked to you about hormone receptor positives. So estrogen and progesterone expression are measured in every breast cancer patient. Um, at the time of diagnosis. Then also, obviously, HER2 protein expression or gene amplification is also measured to determine, because the treatment paradigm is different depending upon which of those attributes the tumor has. What's emerging in this field that's getting quite interesting is it turns out that there is another molecular diagnostic, which is, which is um, ESR1 gene sequencing. ESR1 is the gene that produces the estrogen receptor alpha. And what we've learned over the course of the past year is that the most common single resistance mutation that arises after treatment with a CDK4-6 inhibitor plus an AI or fulvestrant is an activating mutation of the ESR1 gene. And this makes the estrogen receptor active without estrogen being present. And we have evidence in the clinic that OP1250 is able to suppress the activity of these ESR1 activating mutations. So that will be one aspect of the development program, which is to look very specifically at the ESR1 mutants. Do you see a difference in OP1250 and ESR activity? Yeah, one, one aspect of the development program will definitely be to characterize whether there is a difference in activity between the non-mutant, the ESR1 wild type, and the ESR1 activating mutation carrying tumors. Now, when you look at the available anti-cancer drugs being used in the treatment of metastatic breast cancer, and I guess I mentioned that already earlier, it's getting a little bit crowded there. There are a lot of options, right? So what makes OP1250 stand out? Does the drug that you are developing predicts a better outcome? Um, or uh, maybe leads to less side effects. The reason why I'm asking is that in 2019, during the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, I spoke with a 25-year survivor of metastatic breast cancer. In our interview, she mentioned that over the years, she had many, many, many different treatments, but it was difficult for her to deal with the side effects of the various drugs prescribed to her, which directly impacted her health-related quality of life. Can you tell me a little bit more about the possible impact, the health-related quality of life of OP1250? Yeah, definitely. So that is definitely one of the aspects that we are um, seeking to improve upon and establish with OP1250 as well. First of all, obviously, estrogen receptors are validated therapeutic target, right? We know that already. We also know that the existing therapies are inadequately turning off that estrogen receptor signal and particularly so in the context of these activating mutations that arise. It's wonderful to hear that the patient you interviewed has been able to live for 25 years with metastatic breast cancer. Unfortunately, that is not a common situation to have that extended survival. But she raises a really interesting point, which is 
yes, we want to extend life. Absolutely. But it is also absolutely true that an important aspect of that being meaningful is quality of life. And we believe that OB1250 has a very favorable uh, tolerability profile from what we've seen in the clinic. In addition, it's a once daily oral medication. It's not like fulvestrant, which is two high volume, five milliliter, that's a teaspoon, injections every 28 days. So that part is an important aspect as well. And then obviously tolerability in combination with other agents that the patient will be taking. We ha- as I mentioned, we have seen that some combinations actually show an increased toxicity over what you would expect from the two single agents. And that is an unfortunate situation. So we do feel like we've been able to learn from some of the things that have come before us and to incorporate those lessons into the design of OP1250 and the execution of the clinical trials. So that is a real important vocal point for you, right? Now, let's switch gears a little bit. OP1250 is an oral treatment, right? Now, when it comes to drug adherence, especially in the treatment of complex diseases, including cancer, are you not afraid that patients may not adhere to the drug regimen prescribed to them because it is an oral treatment? Would this potentially hinder the efficacy of the drug? Based on the profile that we have right now, actually, I do not think compliance is going to be a problem. And there are multiple components to that. First of all, I should say that cancer patients are highly motivated. This is a life-threatening disease. And if you get to regulatory approval, you have demonstrated in a randomized controlled trial that your therapy provides therapeutic benefit. So those two things together definitely help. In addition, you want to make it easy. So how do you do that? One is have it be oral. Two is have it be easy to remember once a day. You get more frequent than twice a day and you will have trouble with compliance. It's just complex for patients to remember to do that. I I think absolutely tolerability is a component here. If something makes somebody feel bad, they will be more reluctant to take it. Certainly more reluctant if they have an alternative that maybe doesn't have that effect for them. And so we think tolerability is extremely important here. And then obviously that extends to the tolerability in combination as well. So I think all of those factors will contribute to compliance. We do not see that as being an obstacle for us at this point at all. We've had, I should say, we have had patients on the drug for more than one year already in the development plan. So we know that the patients can tolerate this for quite some time. As we mentioned before, the field of anti-cancer drugs is um, getting a little bit crowded, right? Now, when a drug becomes available, when OP1250 becomes available, how do you intend to teach physicians about the benefit of the drug? So with oncologists, it's pretty typical, right? Data is, they're very data-driven physicians. So I think showing the benefit, the approvable endpoints in this therapy are progression-free survival. But you do, um, so freedom of the patient from progression of their cancer, improving upon that. You do follow longer for overall survival too, right? That's ultimately living longer and is, is the gold standard. In breast cancer, that can take quite a while. The approvable endpoint is something that occurs somewhat earlier. The other thing to recognize in ER positive HER2 negative breast cancer in particular is that one of the objectives, it goes to your patient's 
story about tolerability, one of the objectives of therapy is to put off chemotherapy as long as possible. In other words, to have the patient's disease under control without having to deal with the tolerability profile, the side effect profile of chemotherapy. And so that to us is the most attractive thing. And that's why we want to go into the first line in combination with a CDK4-6 inhibitor. That would be the next trial to do after our second, third line single agent trial. But ultimately, unfortunately, none of the treatments, while there are very good options, Peter, you're absolutely right. There's been great progress. They are not curative of this cancer at this point in time. So the patients do eventually progress and do need new therapeutic options. It's really more of a question of where you are in the sequence. Let's take a short break and then we're back with Dr. Sean Bone, President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology. We talk about the development of new treatment options designed to improve outcomes for women with metastatic or advanced breast cancer. Procrastination can kill. Colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in the United States among men and women combined, and it doesn't always cause symptoms. Fortunately, it can be prevented or found at an early stage. Have you been putting off colon cancer screening? This year, use the health benefits you're paying for to get screened for colon cancer. There are lots of screening options available that include anything from a colonoscopy, considered the gold standard of screening tools, to simple tests that can be done at home. And the chances of getting colon cancer increase with age. It's also very preventable, and when caught early, treatments are more successful. If you're 45 or older, you need to get screened. Colorectal cancer can be prevented or found early when it's more treatable. Don't put off your colorectal cancer screening any longer. Talk to your doctor today to discuss which screening test is best for you. This message is brought to you by Oncazine and Physicians Weekly. This is the Yonkazine Brief with Peter Hoffland. And welcome back. This is the Yonkazine Brief. If you're just joining us in today's episode of the Yonkazine Brief, I'm talking with Dr. Sean Bowen, President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology. We talk about the development of OP1250, a new treatment option designed to improve outcomes for women with metastatic or advanced breast cancer. As you've mentioned, there is no cure for metastatic breast cancer or advanced breast cancer, right? The treatments you're developing is also not designed as a cure. It's primarily a drug designed to manage the disease. And in managing metastatic or advanced breast cancer, we often see a switching between different drugs. And that can be for different reasons, right? Like avoiding side effects, but it can also be done to make sure that there is an ongoing treatment benefit. In essence, it's designed or done to make sure or to avoid the need for chemotherapy as a last resort. Is this something you expect to see with OP1250 as well? Yeah, Peter, that's exactly the approach that is taken in the management of these diseases, which is to, for lack of a better term, cycle through the different non-chemotherapy options with the hope that you will get a delay of progression from those options as you try as you try them and push off chemotherapy 
for some time. Now, sometimes patients will either present with very extensive or aggressive disease or be progress very quickly on, on their current treatment. And then sometimes oncologists feel like they need to move to chemotherapy. They're forced into the hand to try to shrink and control the disease. But very frequently, that is not the case. And then they will try multiple non-chemotherapy agents to see if they can hold the disease in check for long, as long as possible. We've talked a lot about breast cancer and the potential of extending treatments to include gynecological cancers. Now, OP-1250 is still in clinical trials. Tell me a little bit more about the current and planned clinical studies. Yes. So our first phase three program will start mid-year next year. That will be a single agent trial versus the endocrine therapy standard of care. And that a trial we anticipate will probably take a, about two years to both enroll and to mature. And then obviously, assuming it's positive, that leads to regulatory filing. We do have some things in that indication that help us along. A couple months ago, we received fast track designation from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. So that helps us with that filing and review. Shortly after the initiation of that trial, our objective is to initiate a first-line advanced or metastatic ER-positive HER2-negative trial in combination with a CDK4-6 inhibitor. And that's being enabled by these 1B trials that I talked about that are ongoing. And then, of course, there, there are other life cycle things for the drug that we would like to investigate, such as combination with the HER2-targeting agents for ER-positive, HER2-positive trying to better understand the CNS metastasis opportunity and, of course, trying to look at the PI3 kinase combination, alpalisib, in a, in a registrational way. And then finally, as you mentioned, there are other ER-driven cancers. And so understanding, understanding whether OP-1250 could be a therapeutic option there. So from the sounds of it, you're going to be very busy. You've mentioned that earlier this year, the United States Food and Drug Administration of the FDA has granted fast-track designation to OP-1250. How important is this designation, or maybe how useful is this designation for ongoing development of the drug? Yeah, it's quite useful. What it does is it allows us to more easily uh, consult with the regulatory authority on what our plans are, what we're seeing, what we are proposing to do, and get their viewpoint on it. Does it meet their requirements? And so that obviously is a vitally important aspect of the drug development process. And the fast track gives us an opportunity to do that more actively and more easily. It also does give us a, a bit of a filing advantage. You can do a thing called a rolling filing. You don't have to get everything together, all the manufacturing, all the non-clinical work, the clinical trial itself. You don't have to put it all in one package and send it in at once. You can complete pieces of it as you're ready and submit them um, in a rolling fashion. And so that also can both expedite the review time for the regulatory agency, but also allows us to, to work on and file things as we are able to do them. For the next year and a half, you're still working on the development of OP-1250. In addition to OP-1250, are you working on the development of other drugs? Yes, there are. We do have a pipeline. We haven't been very public about it to basically to try to not lose any competitive advantage, but it is focused on cancers occurring primarily in women, which is Olima's mission to bring new treatment options 
sometimes as you'll appreciate, a pathway may be involved in, in, in a woman's cancer, but also involved in other cancers too. And that, that is fine with us as well. So we have several targets that we are working on in our research organization. And also, as we had announced, some, some outside collaborations to move those targets forward as well. And I look forward to an opportunity in the future to, to talk about what we're doing and what we're seeing and disclose the targets that we're working on. I'm definitely looking forward to have you come back and talk with me about the future development of OP1250 and some of the other agents that you have in your development pipeline. Dr. Sean Bowen, President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology, thank you so much for joining me today in the Young Gazine Brief. Thank you very much, Peter. And I look forward to coming back with more to talk about. I think it'll be great fun and I really appreciate your interest. In this episode of the Oncogene Brief, I spoke with Dr. Sean Bowen, President and Chief Executive Officer of Olima Oncology, about the development of a new treatment option designed to improve outcomes for women with metastatic or advanced breast cancer. For more information about the company and their lead investigational agent they are developing, OP1250, please visit the company's website at olima.com. For us here at the Oncogene Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners, sponsors, and advertisers, for your ongoing support. Your support makes it possible that you can hear this program via PRX Public Radio Exchange and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. And you can also download our program via podcast and streaming media, including iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and nearly anywhere where you can find a good podcast. For more information about supporting the Oncogene Brief, visit our website at Oncogene at Oncogene.com. If you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866. That is 66866. And we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all. And thanks for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the youngest in brave. Oncazine Brief is a global medical educational service from the publishers of Oncazine and ADC Review, the journal of antibody drug conjugates. Support for the Oncazine Brief comes from our commercial underwriters and advertisers and the listeners to this station. For more information about advertising, underwriting, and sponsoring options, visit Oncazine at www.oncazine.com forward slash podcasts. The Oncazine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content in this program is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice and guidance. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.